Thank you, band. What awesome words for this time especially. Those words fit so perfectly with where we are today in the world. So this is now week three as we're uh, doing our Lenten sermon series, which is called This Changes Everything. And what we're doing throughout this sermon series is we're lifting up those New Testament stories of people who were transformed through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And we started off two weeks ago, Pastor Davis led us in that one, where we looked at the story of John the Baptist and how John the Baptist met Jesus and recognized one greater than himself and recognized him as Lord. Last week, I lifted up the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how Mary was actually required to demonstrate humility in, in that transition, that transformation from 33 years as the mother of Jesus to becoming an actual follower of the risen Christ. And so what we talked about last week was how that, that transformation reflects the fact that sometimes in our Christian walk, we're actually called to take a step down, to change from being a leader to becoming a follower. And sometimes that's what we need to do in our walk. We need humility to take that step with grace. But this week, what we're gonna do is talk about really just the opposite. We're gonna talk about the fact that sometimes Jesus transforms followers of Jesus into leaders. But that is always leaders who act from a place of humility, who understand Jesus' example of servant leadership. And I think probably one of the best examples of this kind of transformation through an encounter with Jesus from a follower to a leader is actually in the story of Simon Peter, Simon Peter the fisherman. Because when we first meet Simon Peter in the Gospels, that's what he is. He, he's a fisherman. He's just a, a guy who, who fishes for a living on the Sea of Galilee. And along with his brother Andrew, he leaves that all behind to follow Jesus. And after a period of time, after witnessing Jesus uh, through a period of teaching and, and healing and miracles, Peter actually becomes the first one to actually declare who Jesus really is. And what we're going to see in the scripture reading this morning is that Jesus then appoints Peter to not only become a leader in the church, but he uses the language of Peter, you are the very rock upon I will build my church. So I want you to hear these words from scripture from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So in those words, Simon, Simon the fisherman has now become Peter, the rock on whom Jesus will build the church. So if you were with worship, uh, in worship with us last week, or, or if you watched online, you're going to remember that, that I began last week talking about how when I was in high school, I was a math and science whiz, but, but when I started college, I had to move from being the one who was always helping people with their math and science homework to being the guy who needed to have a tutor to help him get through Calculus One, And the humility that I, I really did have to learn to go along with that. 
Well, this week I'm going to talk about something completely different because the trajectory of my life in the church has been very different from that. In fact, really kind of the complete opposite. Because a little over 20 years ago, probably about 22 years ago now, I was pretty much the picture of the uninvolved churchgoer. I mean, I, I dropped my kids off at Sunday school, and, and because at that time we didn't actually have worship at the same time as Sunday school, believe it or not, I dropped the kids off at Sunday school, and then I went out to the car and read the paper for that hour. I came back in and, and picked the kids up after Sunday school, and we went in and worshiped together. We went home, and then it was repeat again next week. And really, that was kind of how our lives went at that point. But at some point then, I remember you know, listening to sermons and hearing and these stories of transformation in Jesus and starting to think, you know, there really there has to be something more to it than just what I'm doing, more than just this repeated ritual again week after week after week. So I signed up for this year-long Bible study. You've probably heard me talk about it before. That study's called Disciple. And at the end of that class, I was kind of put to a challenge, and I, I started teaching third grade Sunday school. Shortly after that, I was asked to actually lead this adult evening Bible study, so I started doing that. Eventually, that evolved into me being asked to become a Sunday school superintendent, kind of like the principal over the entire Sunday school. That became being the chair of what was then called the Education Council, which gave me a seat on the church council, the leadership board of the church. And then, because I was still kind of, I was still leading these adult Bible studies, but sometimes I was feeling very inadequate in what I was doing in there as a leader, and partly because my employer at the time was actually willing to cover the cost of any graduate-level education, I decided I was going to enroll in some online seminary classes, start taking some more formal education and, and Christian education. I did that, and then a couple years into that, a position opened up, a staff position on the uh, staff of, of the church. It was to be the director of adult ministries. And after a lot of prayer and consideration, I actually made the decision to leave that engineering career and start uh, being employed as the director of adult education in the church. And taking these seminary classes, that continued. I actually, after seven years of part-time work, I actually graduated from seminary. Two years after that, I got ordained and eventually ended up kind of where I am today as the executive pastor here at Living Word. And, and the point of me telling you this is not you're here to hear Greg's life story, but the reason I, I really wanted to tell that story today is that sometimes today, I really do take a look from where I am today and I say, how on earth did I get here? I really wonder. I mean, yeah, there were a couple of major decision points along the way, like, like taking that very first staff position in the church, like actually entering into the ordination process to become clergy. But for the most part, every step that I took in that journey, it just, in the moment, it felt like the right thing to do. It felt like the natural next step to take in my faith journey. So, the last thing I want to do here today, too, is to compare myself to St. Peter. But I kind of have to believe that he would have gone through something very similar. Because Peter, Peter began as this, as I said, this hardworking fisherman. And then something about Jesus, something about Jesus compelled him to leave all that behind and to become one of Jesus' disciples, one of those original 12 disciples. But then, then Peter rose into this place in Jesus' small kind of inner circle 
of followers along with the brothers James and John. And then as we saw in the scripture, actually Peter became the first of all of them to, to really see that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Son of God. Later, after Jesus' resurrection on the day of Pentecost, Peter will then be the first to actually publicly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. Then a little bit later in the book of Acts, we read that against everything Peter was ever taught, he actually goes on to become the first evangelist to the non-Jewish world, the Gentiles. He becomes the pillar of the very original Christian church in Jerusalem. He becomes the author of two letters in Scripture, the letters of 1st and 2nd Peter, we call them today, that are, became part of the Christian canon of Scripture. And eventually the man dies as St. Peter, one of the very first Christian martyrs and truly, truly the rock upon which the entire church was built. And I just can't imagine that at some point in Peter's life, he too didn't take a look back and say, how did I get here? How did I get to where I am today? But I also have to believe that Peter's answer to that question is like my own. It's really very simple. The answer is, Jesus changed me. Jesus changed me. Somehow, in this process of transformation that an encounter with Jesus Christ initiates, I went from being an engineer who came to church most Sundays to being Pastor Greg, up here in front of this camera right now, delivering sermon on Sunday morning. Peter, Peter went from being a fisherman named Simon to being St. Peter, the rock on whom the church of Jesus Christ is built. And honestly, I don't think either one of us ever expected to end up where we did. But I guarantee you, two things, two things led to this place. And first and foremost, I think, is what Pastor David preached about two weeks ago, and that is really understanding and embracing what it means to call Jesus your Lord and really accepting what all it is you do sign up for when you agree to call yourself a follower of Jesus. But the second thing, and, and just as important, is this willingness to do what God asks of you, this willingness to take the next step on this journey of faith, even when you're not completely confident in your ability to do what it is that's being asked of you. So here's something I, I, I'm fascinated by. Do you know what the very first thing is the very first thing is we see Peter being asked to do in the gospel story that he's asked to do apart from all the other disciples, okay? Because Peter's along for, for many of these healings, and in the initial stories, it's always the whole group of disciples who are present. But then Jesus asks Peter, along with James and John, to join him in entering into a room where a little girl has just died. Now, in this story, Jesus, Jesus is on his way there. He's been asked to go visit this little girl who is dying, but he gets detained. Okay, and in Luke chapter 8, verses 49 to 52, it says this. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. 
Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. I mean, what must Peter have thought in that moment? And Peter has been there, like I said, he's been there with all the rest of the disciples to see Jesus heal people, to see these miracles. He's even seen him cast out evil spirits. He's even been there and seen him calm a storm. But now, now in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of all these people around wailing and mourning and crying, Jesus says, you, Peter, James, John, just you three, come in here with me, Come in here with this dead little girl and her parents. These parents, I've just told that she's going to be okay. And I know what my reaction would have been. What? Who? Me? Seriously? Me? But Peter did. Peter did go into the room. Peter did take that little step. And whatever it was that Peter experienced in there in that room, the, the, the scripture doesn't actually give us the details of that, but whatever it was that Peter saw when Jesus raised this little girl from the dead, it had to have been absolutely incredible because the second time, the second time we see Peter separated out from the group is when the disciples are in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they actually see Jesus approaching them walking on the water. And just listen, just listen to what Peter does from Matthew 14, 22 through 31. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. This was actually right after the feeding of the 5,000. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? I'm like, are you kidding? Why did you doubt? I mean, I want to know where Peter got the faith, where he got the courage to take that first step out of the boat. I mean, you talk about a step of faith. Jesus says, come, Peter, come. Walk on the water toward me. And Peter says, okay. I mean, in this scene, this scene becomes this perfect metaphor for what Jesus asks each and every one of his followers to do. And that is sometimes, sometimes, even though it's scary, you have to get out of the comfort of the boat. You have to be a courageous enough follower, a courageous enough leader to show people that it's safe to take the first step out into the unknown. Well, then, it's after these two experiences and after seeing a dead little girl raised to life, after getting out of the boat to actually walk on the water toward Jesus, after all these other experiences with all the other disciples, Peter is the one to step forward in the scripture reading I read earlier today to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, God the Father has revealed this to Peter. 
And then Jesus affirms that revelation by announcing to Peter, you are the rock on whom I will build my church. But here's a really significant point, really significant. At this point, even though Peter has identified Jesus as the Christ, he is still in the middle of this transformational journey of faith from follower to leader. He's still in the middle of that journey. In fact, even though he knows Jesus is the Christ, in the stories that follow on after this, Peter really doesn't seem to get it yet. He really doesn't. I mean, it's amazing that literally right after Jesus says, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Right after that, Jesus starts to talk to the disciples about how what this means is that he is going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. He begins teaching about his death and his resurrection. And Peter, Peter actually rebukes Jesus for this. And that word rebuke, in the Greek and the New Testament is a strong, strong word. I mean, basically, Peter pulls Jesus aside and effectively says to him, shut up, there is no way that's going to happen. No way. So that according to Matthew 16, 23, it says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I mean, Jesus just, literally just told Peter that he would build the church upon him, and the next thing he does is call Peter Satan. And it's just, it's just a short time after that, really, a short time later in another story, this rock, this rock that the church is going to be built upon still seems, he expects that there's going to be some kind of financial reward for following Jesus, for giving up everything to follow Jesus. Because in that scene, Jesus has just asked this rich young man to give up his riches in order to follow him. And when this rich young man doesn't do that, when he fails to do that and decides not to follow Jesus, he, Jesus tells his disciples, you know what? It's really hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And Peter is shocked by that absolutely shocked. Matthew 19.27 says that Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? I mean, at this point, Peter is still thinking about what's in it for me. What am I getting out of this in the end, Jesus? What am I getting out of following you? Because he's still thinking about a different kind of kingdom than the kind of kingdom that Jesus has been preaching. And finally, by, by the time Jesus gathers all the disciples together for what will be his last supper, Peter is still just overconfident. He is so overconfident about his own loyalty to Jesus. At the supper, Matthew writes this. He says, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. See, I mean, even, even the night of Jesus' arrest, even after following Jesus for three years, even with all this grooming for leadership that Peter's gone through with Jesus, Peter is still a work in progress. 
a work in progress. But then, then there are three specific events, three very specific events that I think lead to Peter's ultimate embrace of his own transformation into leadership. And the first happens on that same night, that same night of the Last Supper, when Jesus, the one that that Peter has said, you are the Christ, Jesus gets down on the floor to wash the disciples' feet, to wash their feet, including Peter. And Peter, as we might guess, Peter absolutely recoils. He absolutely recoils. He is aghast that his Lord would stoop to such a demeaning task. But then Jesus teaches Peter and the other disciples the paradox of what it is to lead as a follower, to lead as a servant. Because Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. But still, it's, it's later that same night after Jesus is arrested that Peter does indeed deny Jesus three times. But after his resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter in this, in this deeply emotional scene and he offers Peter forgiveness for his denial. And Peter receives that forgiveness. He receives it deep humility. And finally, Peter's there along with Mary, as we talked about last week, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them all, empowering Peter, empowering all of them to give witness to the resurrection. And immediately, immediately after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter is now also the one to first declare publicly these words. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And folks, these these same three experiences, these same three experiences that transformed Peter can be transformational events for anyone who experiences them. And they are a huge part, I believe, of how followers of Jesus turn into leaders. And the first of these is embrace the fact that to lead like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. To lead like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. Second, you have to believe that you are forgiven and loved even, even if you have denied your Lord. And third, we need to ask for, receive, and trust in the Holy Spirit to empower you to go and do what you have never done before. Because look, the truth is sometimes, sometimes we are called to follow, but sometimes we're called to lead. Often it's, it's when we're comfortable leading that we're asked to actually take a step down and become a follower. And it's when we've become very comfortable following that we're asked to take a step up and lead. And so again, this week, I want to wrap up this sermon this morning with an invitation to everyone who's willing to pray along with me this prayer of submission 
to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We did this last week as well when we talked about the, the call to sometimes be set aside for Jesus. But we need to pray this prayer again this week as we talk about the times that we're actually called to be used by God to go into a place of leadership where maybe we're not even that comfortable. So let's join in this Wesleyan covenant prayer in which we covenant with God to go wherever God leads. Be in an attitude of prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen and amen. So I'm going to invite you now, as you're watching this, to, to go ahead and, and we're going to enter into an attitude of prayer. This is a point in our service where we usually would have our pastoral prayer. So I'm going to go ahead and lead a prayer for all of us in this time. And I would just ask you to bow your head and join me in this time of prayer. Holy and loving God, we live in such uncertain times right now. So Lord, we do call upon you. We call upon you to keep us safe. We call upon you and your Holy Spirit to give us patience. And Lord, we pray for all of the leadership of our, of our schools, our church, our, our world, our country, that these leaders would be doing the things and taking the steps that would most effectively help your work to be done here on earth. Whether we're talking about this, this, this COVID-19 outbreak or wherever you might call us to serve. Lord, I want to give you thanks this morning for, for bringing Pastor David, our, our lead pastor, and Don Short back to us from Ghana for the work of living word that you have truly been blessing there, Lord. Uh, the authorities in New York have asked Pastor David to, to remain in, in a, a self-quarantine for the remainder of this coming week. So, God, we just ask that you would be present with him, be present with all so many across our country who are entering into that same kind of a world where we are forced to kind of take a step back from each other. But Lord, we confess that, that, that following any kind of directions, following your lead, sometimes that's very difficult for us to do. Faith can be hard. Sometimes we're called to go places to do things that we just aren't comfortable doing. And Lord, we confess that sin to you. We confess that sometimes we just say we're too busy. Sometimes we just say we're inadequate to the task. And sometimes we're just so comfortable where we are. So God, we call upon you now. Show us where you are leading. Give us the will and the courage to follow wherever that might be. So we ask you to hear us now as all of us enter into a moment of silence as we lift before you the prayers closest to our own individual hearts. Thank you, Lord. And hear us now as together 
we lift to you the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So here in just a moment, we are going to share with you the video announcements that we have this morning. But I do just want to point out these, these video announcements were recorded earlier in this week before we completely realized that we were going to be kind of suspending our live worship this week. So at the beginning, she's going to talk to you about uh, using our Shelby Next app to, to check in to worship here. You can't really do that unless you're present in the building with us, the way that app works. And so what we are going to do is ask you, if you would, since you're not here to fill out the paper connect cards either, if you would do us the favor of going to lwinfo.org, we'd appreciate if you would go there and just fill that out. Fill out the online attendance slip that's there. Go ahead and mark whichever service you normally would attend, and, and that'll give us a good, a good idea of how many people have actually kind of tuned in to check out this worship. So go ahead. Uh, you can be doing that while we run these video announcements for you this morning. <laughs> 